Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am not Doug. Uh, unfortunately, we got a call on our way back uh, from our trip for a couple days on the trip that uh, Doug was not feeling well at all. Um, so he's been sick. That's why our meeting uh, yesterday was canceled, moved till next uh, Saturday. I think Doug's on the mend. Doing better. So, yeah, so that's good. So keep him in your, in your prayers. Uh, so this morning, <coughs> uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 10. So if you've got your Bibles open, you can, uh, you can turn to that. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 10. Before we get into that, uh, yesterday I watched, uh, watched a movie called uh, The Tomorrow War. It's on Amazon Prime. It's got like Chris Pratt in it. It's like a sci-fi end of the world alien invasion um, time travel movie. It's got everything in it. It's pretty good. It's fairly clean. And I enjoyed watching it. It's been on my, my queue for a while. The core message is basically, just spoilers if you haven't watched it yet, uh, the core message is basically that uh, there's this man who kind of through all this adversity is seeking redemption, um, healing relationships, uh, and he goes to great lengths to basically save the, the world. He uh, starts out, um, he's up for this job promotion, it's a big deal as the movie tells you, and he doesn't get it. He comes back. He uh, walks inside, and he's he's very sad. He's very he's very depressed. And he says that he he has more that he can offer this world. So you go through the movie, and it's it's got this crazy this crazy storyline. There is this kind of family element underneath it, um, but it's kind of a broken family. So him and his dad's relationship is very severed and broken. Um, he finds out through weird time travel things that his his relationship with his wife and his daughter has issues. And they go through this, this insanity to then close the movie out with this very family-oriented message that family is, is what it's all worth, uh, that our sins, that our, our choices break this precious thing that we, that we literally will kill an alien species to protect. And it cracked me up. Hollywood cracked me up. Because it's a very Christian message. But it takes them millions of dollars, thousands of actors and actresses. It takes them months, years to produce these movies. The music's awesome. The special effects are amazing. To tell a story of redemption. To tell a story of family. And we watch it, the masses watch it, it got pretty good reviews, lots of people have seen it. It tells the same story that this does. This carries little to no weight in the world. A movie from our favorite actor Chris Pratt will carry lots of weight. And it's, it's ironically hilarious to me. Because the Bible does it in simple words that says, don't be selfish. Be kind to people. Don't be greedy. Don't gossip. Honor your vows in your marriage. Forgive others. All of these simple one-line words in the Bible, it tells that story. But we, we rarely listen. 
to it. This morning we're going to be talking about sin. Um, I'm going to say the word sin a lot, so just get prepared for that. You're going to hear it probably too much today. But here's the, here's the start. So the first question, you can write this down if you're taking notes. When we are confronted with our own sin, what do we do? When we're confronted with our own sin, what do we do? Do we shrug it off? Do we excuse it? Do we deny it? Do we give justification for it? Do we deny it's a problem in our life? Do we deny the problems that it creates in our lives and the lives of the people that we, we love? The thing is, the answer is yes, we d- all of us do all of these things. Do we justify it saying, well, this person hurt me or, or this person said that, so I was justified in what I did and what I said and how I reacted to that? Have I had a, have I had a rough life, so X, Y, and Z is fine for me to do? Even though I know it's bad, it's still okay. Or at least it's okay in my mind. Do we put that weight on others? Do we, do we keep that weight for ourselves? Are we on the other side of that coin? Uh, when, when we sin, when, when we are confronted with the consequences of our sin, do we play the woe is me game? Do we play the I'm not good enough? The world's going to hate me if everybody finds out. My family, my friends, they won't love me anymore. Do we take that kind of martyr road? Do we take it as far as saying that God can't love us anymore? And here's the thing is what we talk about today, I don't think any of you are going to come after church and be like, Caleb, let's talk. I've got all those things. Goodness gracious, I've got so much. Because that's not church culture in 2021, unfortunately. But here's the thing is we look at the brokenness of the church. We look at the brokenness of our church. The churches in this town, this church, the, the churches in, in America. This is a root problem. So here's the, the big question I want you to work on next couple minutes. So write this down. How do I react to sin in my life? How do I react to sin in my life? When I am confronted with a sin that I struggle with, or I'm confronted with a sin that, that I know that I have that I haven't shared with anybody, how do I react to sin in my life? As you're working on that, I would say let's do, a, let's do like three. I'm not going to make you turn them in. You can go home, put them in the fireplace if you want to, but it's good to get stuff out of your soul onto some paper. But write down like three ways that you react to sin in your life. And as you do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this, this thought. So our human nature is at conflict with the existence of sin. Do we realize that? Our human nature, the way we were created, is at conflict with the existence of sin. It wasn't part of God's creation. It's a foreign substance in our person that our spirit, our body, tries to rid us of. But we go to such great lengths to normalize it, to explain it away. In doing so, we begin to teach ourselves that it's normal. That it's just part of life. That there's nothing that can be done to change it. Now, the hard thing is, when I was writing this, every inch that I was moving, I was hearing conversations that I've had for the last 15 years of my life. Internal conversations, conversations with other Christians. Is that every time we we pose sin, everybody poses grace. They're like, hey, there's sin in your life. Like, oh, but, but, but grace. 
which is kind of a cop-out to some extent. And we'll explain that in a little bit. So we think there's nothing we can do to change that. Think about this, because I've often wondered why this is, but think about this. We experience the very nature of God's forgiveness, his existence, and his forgiveness in our life. And so often we still choose or we fall victim to sins in our life, right? See, that's difficult. It's something I have been personally struggling with lately. We know we experience his forgiveness, but still we, we fall back in to sin. Like, why is that? I don't, I don't really have an answer. <laughs> but why is that? And what we're going to get into today as we talk through our, our uh, story in Second Samuel is hopefully this understanding um, of, I think the biggest problem is uh, personal self-awareness that we have. Sin is a difficult topic. It is a weird topic. It's a confusing topic as we have made it. And it's, it's really kind of severing our church a little bit, or just churches in general. This is kind of like a universal problem. So I've stopped, uh, I've, been, I've been trying to stop uh, using the justification when I'm talking to someone or I'm trying to comfort somebody. So I'm trying to stop saying phrases like, it's okay, everybody sins. Uh, I catch myself, especially with kids a lot, because sometimes they're not prepped for like a super deep theological jump into the abyss. Uh, so you just instinctually, you know, instinctually want to comfort somebody who's struggling. So you say, it's okay. Everybody sins. Has anybody in here said that before? I'm the, me and Jared are the only ones? Oh my goodness. I think lying's a sin, right? <coughs> we say things like, it's okay, everybody sins. Um, we say things like, no one's perfect. All right? Which is kind of a duh statement. Even though the Bible told us to chase after perfection as part of our pursuit of God. Matthew 5.48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? This is something I've encountered here in St. James. We use the justification that no one is perfect to comfort someone, but as Christians, do we really understand what we're saying? See, we're telling people that it's essentially okay to not chase after the perfection of Christ in our life, which is crazy. We should never. Never point people in that direction. Which, if we follow it to its logical conclusion, means that really, deep down, to cover our secret guilt, we have to even the playing field with the people around us, right? I do this. But the thing is, for us, for us Christians, why are we setting the bar so low for each other in church? Last Sunday school class that Jerry taught, guys talked about accountability. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't there. I do my, my other stuff. But I heard that it went on for a bit. It was a couple weeks, right? Accountability. That's a scary word. But in the church, it shouldn't be. Man, the church should be this amazing thing that we experience because I know I need it. I am, I am not perfect. I know I need accountability. So we know that we can't be perfect. The Bible doesn't tell us to enter heaven and make Jesus smile. <laughs> that we must be perfect because God is perfect. That's not what the scriptures say. No, it's telling us that as we chase after a life modeled by Christ, we strive for perfection. Because why wouldn't we? 
See, Christ modeled a pretty amazing life here on earth for us. And our goal is his example. If we follow that, we will be attaining levels of peace and kindness and joy and transformation that most people can only dream of. And I'm talking about Christians. Most Christians can only dream of. You see, I think we do this a lot. I've been to a lot of churches in my life. We do this. We do the building a lot. And we walk out, and we don't feel this transformation. And that's got to be, that's got to be hard. As there's this expectation set that we live this life that is transformed in Christ, through Christ, by his blood on the cross. And we kind of just, oh, nah, we don't feel it, you know. It's, it's not in us. instead I think the issue instead I think we often choose we often choose sin and this is a hard thing this is a hard thing to say I struggled with this because who's going to admit like as a Christian who's going to admit that we choose sin even though we all do it's this weird unspoken thing that we just don't ever talk about in churches like Caleb Fashlingaus one of your ministers that you pay who leads your children chooses sin. That's not a good thing, but it is the human condition. And the thing is, if we start talking about it, if we start being open about it, choosing sin is not going to happen as often. And see, this is the thing that the church has got to get around, not just us. All, all churches have to get around this, this weird this weird way that we, we are freaked out about sin. You come to church, you talk about Jesus, and that's it. You never talk about the other. And think about how ludicrous this idea is. What else in life do we treat with as much apathy as we do our sinful nature? Think of a cancer diagnosis. Many of you in here have had cancer. All right? We love Dan. Dan's fighting it right now. But think about this. A cancer diagnosis from a doctor does not go unchecked, right? No, we fight it viciously with prayer and medicine that hurts and wounds and changes our bodies. Because we fear and we hate and dislike that disease so much that we put it all on the line to rid our bodies of all of it because we want to live. But when it comes to sin, I don't think we do the same thing. And that is a problem for the church. That is a problem for Caleb Ryan Fashlinghouse. That I have got to change. That we have got to change. Now our body is created to, rea to, to react and reject foreign objects. All right? Um, it always cracks me up. I don't know if you're, if you're a grandpa. I feel like growing up, all the grandpas said this. I think mine said it once or twice. We, the cousins would be playing. We would get a splinter, all right? You know, even the little splinter, you touch something, you know, your sandwich, and it hurts real bad. Um, my grandpa, he'd be like, ah, it's fine. Your body will work it out. I'm like, oh, all right, grandpa. And I imagine maybe other people did. Grandpas were just walking around just riddled with splinters, just waiting for the body to work them out. All right? Painful existence. 
think about this. I'm a little gross for a second, but eh, it's who I am. All right, who has acne? I got face knee, back knee, chest knee. I thought I'd grow out of it. I do not, unfortunately. I pointed out that Addie had a pimple because she's uh, coming into that age when we were driving back on a 12-hour car, car ride, and she, I thought she was going to murder me. <coughs> it was worth it, though. She needs to learn how to deal with these things because school's rough. But think about acne, all right? Do you leave it or do you pop it? All right? Casey's not in here. She's with the kids. I leave it. Some of them, you know, in this area, the comfortable areas, eh, that's, you know, it's unsightly. But most of the time, I leave it. You know, we'll be swimming or something. We're at the beach, and she's like, you want me to get that for you? I'm like, absolutely not. Don't touch me, woman. Because it hurts. Because she goes, she takes, like, scissors or something and just, like, cuts my back open. See, it's not good to leave that stuff in your body. That's why the body's trying to work it out. But I don't deal with it because it's painful. All right? Dealing with sin in our life is painful. It is hard. It requires change and perseverance. It requires a family. It requires forgiveness. See, we're created in such a way that the sin that happens in our life is a foreign object that doesn't belong, and here's the point. When we participate in or welcome sin into our lives, when we refuse to deal with it, sin has consequences. Now, sin always has consequences, but here's the thing. We're going to get into our story in a minute in the Bible. The way God looks at sin and the way we understand sin is a little bit different. Our, our, we've got a lot of lenses that we look at sin through, and a lot of them are pretty foggy. And that does us injustice. But when we refuse to deal with it, it has some intense consequences. Sin is the easiest thing to see the symptoms of and diagnose. And to this day, sin is the number one killer of mankind that we largely ignore. It's the easiest thing to see. It's the biggest thing that's killing us. And it's the thing that we ignore the most. Especially in 2021. In church, God is no stranger to uh, introducing us to historical consequences of sin in the days of the Bible. So I'm going to, before we get into our story just in a minute, I'm going to go give a little list of what I think kind of our struggles with sin are, help us think about it. We struggle with forgiveness. God does not. We struggle to understand how we can be forgiven of our sins when we are still sinful people. We as a people aren't honest with ourselves about a lot of stuff. We can be a little blind to the impact that sin has on this world, on our lives. My favorite thing is when I get to talk to kids. They'll come into my office, or we'll talk on Wednesdays or something, and they'll be like, Caleb. Oh, you know, I'll ask them how their day was. Oh, it's been rough lately. I'm like, all right, right? It's been rough. What's going on? They're like, I don't know. You tell me. I'm like, probably sin. And they're like, well, because, <laughs> you know, you can't. You can't talk to a youth minister and not know what you're talking about. So I'm like, well, it's probably sin. And they're like, well, <laughs> duh. But seriously, like, what do you actually think you're talking about? You see, we never, we never liked the sin answer. Even though that is the problem. Our struggle and misunderstanding of sin drives so much of our lives. And as Christians, that should not be the case. When we die to our sins with Christ, they should not control us as they do. 
So what does the Bible say about sin? How it affects us ultimately? That it separates us from God. As we dive into the narrative, uh, we come into David's life amidst his rule as king. We come into the story as Nathan, the prophet, returns to have a few words with David. So 2 Samuel uh, 12, starting in verse 1. So the Lord sent uh, Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, his drink, uh, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now this parable, Nathan is referring to the sin with Bathsheba. He's talking about Uriah and the fact that Nathan or that uh, Daniel or David killed him. David's words, I mean, foot in the mouth, right? Then Nathan said to David, "You are the man. That is what the Lord. Uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I give you mas- I give you your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I give you all of Israel and Judah. And in all this." Uh, If all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. That is rough. You you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, and this is cool, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the Son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child of Uriah's wife, uh, that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights laying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can he now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and and realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate pretty intense. We all know the story of David. He had some crazy consequences. The sword, violence will never leave your house. 
right? Your son that was created in, in this in this sinful way will be killed as a sacrifice, a penance for your sin. Turmoil, you go into chapter 13 and on, turmoil enters his house. His descendants are, are, are lying with relatives and all these crazy things are happening. Talk about consequences. Sin has consequences. David is forced to meet this face to face. His past sins, he's given his consequences. And it shows us, what when I read this, it shows me, shows us that God does not play around. I read the scripture and it makes me think, as a Christian culture, we think or we have forgotten that our God is serious. He is loving, but he also takes sin far more serious than we usually do. David himself said in, in, in verse 5 and 6 that, that, justifi- that justice must be done, right? I mean, he called for his own death without knowing it. I mean, there's this instinctual understanding that sin has to be paid for. There's a consequence to that. And his consequences were intense. But the cool part is that we're told in the passage that, that God gave David pardon for his sins because they were paid for. See, God is telling us, the reader, through yet another story of a broken man who was once said, had the heart of God, a man after God's own heart. God is telling us, the reader, that sin can't, that the factual nature of sin can't be dealt with without payment. It can't just disappear. The effects of sin can't just disappear. We can't ignore it. Something must be sacrificed. Now, if you're a Christian, you know that Christ, for us, is that ultimate sacrifice. But we live in a culture that acts like sin isn't real. We try to explain it away, eradicate the consequences. We can't talk about it. We certainly can't call anybody on it outside or inside the church. See, my favorite thing is when I encounter religious people and they only want to talk about grace. They don't want to talk about sin. See, grace is awesome. Grace and what Christ did on the cross, they didn't eradicate sin from existence. Sin still happens. It just took care of the debt. But the effects of sin as we live in this world as broken people in a broken uh, standard of existence, we still have to deal with sin. And the church has done a terrible job. I have done a terrible job of taking that seriously. See, we were promised through Christ that we are given pardon for our sins. They have been paid for. But my question to the church today as we move into our last section My question for the church today is what are we going to do with that? Like we have been pardoned. Our sins no longer held against us. Are we living like that's true or are we not? Is Caleb Fashlingaus living like he is redeemed or is he living like he is still dead in his sin? That is the question I think for a lot of us in this country that are claiming Christ in time of turmoil because we are being put to the test and it's not going to get any easier from here. It's going to get going to get more difficult. So what does this mean for the church? Well, simply enough, it means we need to get our lives in order so that when people see us following Christ, it makes sense to them. Not that we live perfect, pure lives, or that we're so good that we think we're better than everybody. 
But when we encounter, uh, when people see us encounter our sin, they also see us deal with our sin. They see us own it. They see us take care of it. They see us repentful, uh, repenting of it. They see us not moving farther into it, but farther away from it. When we pretend to sin away and we claim to follow Jesus, we are teaching those around us how they are expected to look at sin in their life. So a good question for us parents is what is our treatment of sin teaching our kids as they watch us live life? If you didn't need any more weight before school starts, what are we as parents teaching our children? As I look at the church, and I look at my life, and I look at how my brokenness affects my family, man, what am I doing that my kids are seeing, that my wife is seeing, where they're like, man, Caleb is, you know, Caleb's a minister, right? He should have some of this nonsense figured out, right? But when I don't, and they witness that, they either see me handle it or they see me don't. And over time, that begins to teach my daughter what's acceptable, what the church expects, what God expects, and what isn't. If I never deal with it, she's going to grow up and have a warped understanding of sin. She's going to have a warped understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Doug has been talking about this for years. There's like a lack of discipleship in our country. Like we have a lot of Christians we don't have a lot of kingdom work going on. Like, we have a lot of churches that are dying. We have 42 churches close a week in this country. One day, we will run out of churches. <laughs> something's, something's broken. If you take 100 years of families maybe not dealing with their sin, that claim to be in the church, that claim to be in Christ, what do we have? I think we have a lot of people that do not understand what being a Christian looks like. We try and do good, but we kind of we struggle with that because sin gets in the way. It was interesting. We, uh, actually, I'll get into that in a minute. So I have, two, I have two questions before I get into my last story. So I can ask, I can ask us this question today. And nobody, I don't think anybody raised their hand. Who has mastered sin in their life? I don't think any of us would claim that we've mastered sin in our life. But on the flip side, we could ask the question, who, on a daily basis, takes sin as seriously as we should? I don't know if a lot of us can raise our hands on that either. You have to decide that for yourself. I know for me, that is a struggle. It's a struggle question. Now, the sad, reality about, uh, the sad reality about the church is that confession of one's sins in practice is not something that we do here. We ju- I mean, maybe on a personal level with, like, a close friend it happens. But Caleb Fashionos ain't getting up on the stage and being like, hey, guys, I got some problems. Because that would not go well for Caleb Fashionos, which is broken. It is broken because I am a person. You see, we have this weird understanding. When we were with our our youth students in Branson, we had this con- we had this uh, this conversation. We asked the students, "What 
what were some broken things that they struggled with with the church that they saw? And one of the things that pretty much everybody said was that one of their biggest critiques of the church was that they didn't feel like it was a safe place to share in one's struggles. Because largely, an admittance to sin usually came with punishment and not grace. Now, sin does have consequences. But if we learn from Christ, then grace should come first. See, if this is a thing, this is what our children are picking up from church. That's scary to me. That they do not feel like that this is a place, that they don't feel like this is a group of people that, that they can share their struggles in life with. Because who struggles more than adolescent children <laughs> growing through life? Their bodies are changing. Life's crazy. Other people are crazy. You have a school filled with people who are going through puberty at the same time. That's a nightmare. Things happen. Struggles happen. And the thing is, I Googled it. This is unanimously, across the board, one of the top five things that people under the age of 30 feel like is the biggest problem with the church. It is not a place that they can come in be open about their struggles, be accepted for it, seek and be given forgiveness, and find healing. If that doesn't set your butt on fire to change, I don't know what does. Because we have a church, we have a community of kids outside these, at the, uh, kids and families outside these walls that are struggling with that very thing. So the conversation goes back to, to this. For many years, kind of actually it started back in college for me, I became really fascinated with trying to understand current church culture trends. It was just, I think it was because of my experience, I was trying to understand what was going through, what was going on with churches. Like, why were they struggling? Why are they losing ground 15, 20 years ago, even as they are today? I had a lot of deep discussions with different colleagues that would tell me, Caleb, you focus on sin too much. They'd tell me that I need to live and embrace the forgiveness and freedom that we got from Jesus, which... The, I mean, the, uh, the fact that they think I didn't kind of made me want to punch them in the throat most of the time. But here's the thing. The problem I had is that when I was being told to not focus on sin or that I focus on it too much by other men who were going into ministry, who I knew at that time of having the conversations had sins in their life that they didn't seem too bothered with. That's a problem. Man, I'm not asking them to be perfect, but I'm asking them to like, at least be upset about it. <laughs> you know, be remorseful. I'm being told by soon-to-be leaders in the church that sin isn't a focus. It's like don't talk about the thing that literally separates us from God. Let's just never talk about it. That's crazy. That is a lie of Satan, and he plays it well. Paul said, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to that part of our life. Now we live... Now we need to live like we died to it. The irony about those conversations was that in their words, they were telling me that I wasn't living in redemption and forgiveness. But in their actions, they were showing me that they haven't even experienced redemption or forgiveness. Because it's contrary to the Bible. The Bible says that we died in Christ. If that is true, then we do not live as though sin still holds us in slavery. That is not a conversation we have anymore. I like how the biblical writers paint that picture. They say we were once slaves to sin. 
what that picture looks like to me is people who are in denial. They don't want to talk about it. They just want to deny it. We can't work with that. The truth shows us one thing, that sin doesn't belong as part of us. But often we are more concerned with how others perceive the lie of who we pretend to be than allowing the healing power of forgiveness to change us into who we are created. Band, you can come up. As we end today, here is the hope that we get from the story. David did some terrible things. He got forgiveness. Now, the, the consequences didn't go away. He had to pay for it dearly. But we get a reminder that God has given us a way back into a healed relationship with him. He gave us Christ on the cross, and in turn, he asks that we genuinely follow him, share the gospel, the good news of Christ. And we share it with everyone we know. I grew up believing that meant telling people with my mouth. As I've grown up, as I've gotten older over the years, I have realized that showing people with my life is so much better. And it goes so much further. That's hard to do when we let sin kind of run the show. When we don't deal with it. When we don't ask for help dealing with it. Today we read a historical account of one man's sin and, and brutal, brutal consequences that he went through. We take that as a warning, a reminder that we are to live better than David did. And to understand that yes, we will fall, we will fail, all of us will, until the day we are done. But if we closely, if we live daily a closer life and walk with Christ, that will happen less. Our relationship with Jesus will shine brighter to the people that need to see it. It'll make more sense. The kingdom will benefit from that. Here's the last thing as we end. Consequences don't have to be bad, right? You can have good consequences for actions. I would love the consequences of this group of people, this church, who are desperately trusting and following God, to be that we see many, many people in this town redeemed, that come and understand the, the freedom, the wholeness, the oneness, the, the peace that Jesus offers. That is my prayer for this new year, for this church, for the next five years, next ten years. But that means for us, we've got to get some stuff out of the way. That means for us, we have to go home today and be like, you know what? Yes, I have been in the way of God's work. My sins, though they will not be dealt with tomorrow, I need to start dealing with them today. So that they do not get in the way of God's work. Before I pray and we end our service, I want to put out a special request to parents. that you go home, that I go home, and that I deeply think about what my life is doing to impact my children. What are, what are the good things that I'm teaching them? What are the things they're picking up for me that are not the best? What am I teaching them about how we deal with sins and struggles in our life? 
And as we go through that, man, I think this year is going to be amazing. I think we already are seeing God do awesome work in this group of people. And we pray and we hope that that will, that will abound in plenty over this next year. Uh, let me pray. Dear God, uh, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us. God, we know that sin in our life is, is a difficult thing to deal with. We know that it is uncomfortable. We know that it is embarrassing. God, but the thing that we have in common that I think we forget is that we all, we all do it. Not that it's excused, not that it is something to be proud of. It's not something that we deny or ignore. It's just something that is. God, and you, you tell us to not focus on it, to not, to not let it control us as slaves anymore. God, I pray that today our church realizes the freedom in which you allow us to walk because our sins have been paid for by your son on that cross. God, let us live in that truth so that the people around us see it and they want it and they know it. It doesn't make sense at first, God, but oh, goodness. That's my prayer for St. James Christian Church in this new year. God, we love you, so we ask to sing in your son's name.